You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players and all about strategy, leveling up and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back to Arsenal Pass, episode 122. Brendan Patrick over there, Hayden Dale here. Brendan, another win in the weekend for Icelander. Four events in a row, two battle hardens and a calling, then another battle hardened. Icelander is just absolutely dominating. And also with a, a friend of yours winning in the weekend, Marjan Bay. Yeah, I'm starting, to friend be- of I'm starting to believe that Hayden telling us that his internal data about Icelander is just a psyop, man. It's just, it's not real. She's the best act. No, in all, in all seriousness... Icelander is winning. Icelander is winning a lot. It's a very good deck, apparently, and mm-hmm. it's but man, I mean, it has some. It still riddle me this. It does have some rough matchups. Zayla seems like a tough matchup. Lexi seems like a non-favorable matchup, and then Jermai is just still Jermai. So yeah, I mean, I'm happy the deck is being successful. I, I'll tell you right now, like for nationals, it's the deck I'm probably playing. I'm playing that or Kano. I promise. I'm not playing Lexi. You will not. If you catch me on Lexi, you can tell me I'm a lying, psyoping piece of shit, but you will not. I'm not playing that deck. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I'm happy. I mean, congratulations to K- Caleb. You know, fantastic player. Been seeing a lot of good results recently. I know both you and I have played him at competitive events and just one of the nicest guys out there. Um, but yeah, and- what are your thoughts on sort of uh, the the Icelander? Oh God, what should we even call it? It's like a conspiracy theory at this point, dude. Anything that I say that's differently, people will just claim as psyops anyway. So yeah. I'm getting the Tarek Patel treatment over here. Uh, <laughs> no, I I think I mean we've talked about this on the pod before. We have an amazing guest on the pod this week. We've got Pablo Pintor, uh, absolute European flesh and blood juggernaut at this point, Pro Tour champion, of course, calling multiple time calling champion. And we talk a little bit about Icelander, actually, in the main topic of the pod. But I think one of the things is that Icelander is obviously still very good. Despite the meta it's in and maybe not being the most favorable meta for Icelander, it is still one of the best decks in Flesh and Blood. It is consistent. It has power. It has this amazing in-game with Storm Striders. It is always going to be a threat. And if people uh, you know, aren't prepared for it or disrespecting it, then it is going to continue to just run over events. Regardless, even if people do start to prepare for it, it's probably still going to do well in the hands of very good players like we've seen over the last four weeks. So uh, really interested to see in the lead up to Nationals. I'm expecting, you know, Icelander to to show up and be a, a reasonable pick. Mm. I think it's one that I'm going to struggle to choose to play. But, you know, I'm not necessarily an Icelander expert. So, yeah, if I think of people who are, are going to, it's going to be a decent comfort pick, right? Well, if not a really good comfort pick. Yeah, I mean, they say results don't lie, but I wonder if these ones are lying a little bit. <laughs> uh, no, no, they don't lie. I mean, look, look at the players it's who a, have been piloting this. You know, it's no, yes, it's no fluke that Raya have been on the deck, right? right? Yeah, players yeah, that know yeah. the deck have been on the deck. I mean, Icelander just—it's one of those decks. It's like Jermaine in that vein. I think at one point Icelander was so powerful that you know it's just seeing success all across the board. But at this yes. point, it does seem like. There is a handful of players that are able to succeed with that deck, despite uh, maybe it being in a bit of a hostile meta. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's move on. We can flesh and blood, Brendan. Uh, yours? I was planning to play. Um, I was playing, you know, testing, of course, for nationals. But then it's a little game called Dark and Darker that just uh, <laughs> we talk about on the main pod with Pablo as well. It just randomly released yesterday, so that's uh, it's going to consume my life for at least seven days, to be honest. I mean that. There's not many games that I like or play, but that game is the game for me. It's my game. 
Fair enough. Fair, I've not heard of it, so I'm gonna have to go and uh, look this up. After. I mean, I don't. Uh, fortunately, don't really get to play games, but I, you know, if I can make some time, I tell you, I have been playing a game actually. Mm-hmm. Obviously, been testing for Flesh and Blood. That is the game that I play. But I've been uh, traveling over the last couple of weekends for a couple of events, uh, non Flesh and Blood related, like you know, weddings and, and birthdays and such for friends and family. Um, and I've been playing Slay the Spire while traveling on the plane mm-hmm. on my tablet, and that's, that's, a, that's a game that yeah. I really enjoy. I, there's a game called Wild Frost. I don't know if you heard about it, but it's 10 times better. It released recently. Really? Yes, actually 10 times. 10 actually, times better. Okay, maybe not 10, but it's better. And uh, I played it with I played it with your friend, Sasha Markovic. Um, I actually recommended it on this pod, and some people picked me up, and I had people DMing me like constantly after they got into it. Like, holy shit, this game is so good. So it's like Slay the Spire. It's a little bit better, um, in my opinion, just all around, but it's a bit more of a... It's it fe- once you get into it, like once you're like 10, 20 hours in, you'd be like, mm, is this a card game or is this a puzzle game? I think that's kind of like the paradigm that you get into. But yeah, so Slay the Spire, it's just it's like a later Slay the Spire. I think they fixed a lot of stuff and they, I don't know, it's cool. Right. Try it out. Try it so out. Wild Frost. <laughs> it's also roguelike dick building. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, I'll check it out um, when I go back to play a game next year. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah testing going well for nationals looking forward to it only a couple of weeks away from first weekend of national championships which does include my national championships and your national championships which uh, we will both respectively be playing i guess we can move into to news brendan mm-hmm. skirmish season seven is underway we had the first week of skirmish season seven blitz new blitz format being tested out with this kind of like hybrid sideboarding approach where you can have equipment or you can have cyber cards in your your 52 cards for your blitz deck which is, is is all new and from what i'm hearing people are really enjoying it it's leading to some really interesting sort of dynamics with with deck building and metagames um whereas maybe previously you didn't have that because the only way you could just sort of adjust to metagames was with equipment uh so from all accounts you know chain kano um ira kasai and even Vincent being seeing some some results so very exciting to see uh, i know battle hardened over the weekend was won by Yuanji Lee on Vincent in Salt Lake City. So congrats to Yuanji. And then also there was a PTI event that was won by, uh, you, you know, you're saying earlier, mm-hmm. Caleb winning on Icelander for the constructive portion of that winning a PTI as well. So very interesting weekend. Yeah. Absolutely. I said Battle Hardened earlier. It's, it was oh, the, the classic portion was PTI event. The Battle Hardened event was Blitz, to be clear. <laughs> Brennan just nods. Yes, yes, you're right. Uh, I guess elsewhere, there's also some great articles up on Legend Story Studios that have been published over the, the last week or so that are really good reads, especially if you're getting ready for national championships or any other competitive events like Battle Hardens. Uh, callings coming up as well. One written by our guest on the pod this week, Pablo. There's also one from Brody up there as well that I just think are, are great reads if you're preparing to understand from a maybe a mentality standpoint how to get prepared, how to get ready for big flesh and blood events like national championships that are coming up. Um I don't know, Brendan, anything else? I, I feel like I didn't make notes for the news this week. I think I've kind of nailed most of it. Yeah. To be honest, it's a pretty thick main topic. So I think we should just, we should probably just head right into it. Let's do it. All right. And for the main topic of the episode, we are joined by legendary flesh and blood player, Pablo Pintor. Pablo, um, you and Hayden were having a bit of a conversation as soon as I popped on and Hayden said, congratulations on the top eight. And you respond with, I, I don't know how I got lucky again. I, I'm going to have to call you out because I don't believe you, Pablo. I think you might be one of those players that doesn't get lucky. If we look at results of professional players in flesh and blood, one word sticks out to me more than any other when I think about you, and that's consistency. You seem to be a player that has 
has consistent good results, not maybe a pro tour win here and then, you know, maybe some bad results and then maybe another top eight there. No, you go pro tour win to pro tour top eight to top eight, top eight, top eight. So many tournaments. I mean, you're sort of the European sensation. I just want to, I sort of point that out because you seem to be a very humble person, but I want to once again, (laughs) um, like Hayden said, congratulate you on the recent top eight and welcome you to the podcast. We appreciate you joining us and it's, it's great to finally speak to you. It's it's a pleasure being here. Uh, a dream come true, right? Uh, <laughs> I remember watching you guys when I started playing. So <laughs> it feels like ages ago. And yeah, I'm not fake humble, you know. Um, I, I do keep, you know, getting surprised by <laughs> by my results. It's like, okay, this tournament, I won't do so good, you know. Uh, I haven't practiced as much or, or I'm not as confident as, as I have been in other tournaments with my deck. Uh, the field seems super stacked, like lots of good players. And, and then everything works out nicely for me at the end. You know, there's a song that goes like that in Spanish. It's like <laughs> everything works out at the end. <laughs> everything doesn't work, but at the end, uh, you still get in the top eight, right? And, and that's kind of my story in tournaments. I always start losing <laughs> the first round as well. Yeah, so. Yeah. I'm always like, oh, this is the tournament. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I'm prepared for this. I'm, I won't do good at this one. <laughs> but yeah, I have, I have had a really good run. Mm. And just to tournaments. and just to give our listeners a background, and I'm curious myself, what was I understand that you did have a card gaming background before you before you entered Flesh and Blood. What was that exactly, and sort of how long have you been in the competitive card gaming scene for? Um, pretty much uh, all of my life I could hold some cards. Um, I started playing Magic the Gathering like with 10, 11 years, something like that with my friends, you know, <laughs> like these pre-con decks at, at, at the school. And um, and yeah, we we swapped the games uh, and we started playing Legend of the Fire Rings. Mm-hmm. It was a, a trading card game. Uh, at that point, and I was I was lucky enough to win a tournament with like fourteen years, something like that. It would would be something akin to a calling here. Yeah. Um. So I, I was extremely lucky in that one. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, that one was amazing. <laughs> like I always drew what I needed. Like incredible. Um. So yeah, that kind of. Mm, gave me the the you know the confidence to to actually play much more seriously. I got some good results. Uh, then I just stopped playing almost everything because I had to focus on my studies for a mm-hmm. for a while. Um, and I returned uh, to card games when L five R Land of Fire Rings returned as a living card game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love living card games, but it's a model that doesn't work, so <laughs> it ended up dying. Um, I had some really good results there, and, and yeah, I was playing that until it died uh, when the COVID uh, started, uh, and I swapped to to Flesh and Blood, and it it has been a really good time here. You yeah, know? and you're you're a part I of travel a, t- a lot, and I had a lot of fun. Yeah, you're a part of a team called Sunflower Samurai, correct? I mean, it's kind of an uh, 
sort of, I wouldn't say infamous is the right word because that has like a negative uh, sort of connotation, but it's a very famous team, right? It's a very famous group of players at this point because of how many just successful results you've had. Can you talk a little bit about that team? I've had the pleasure of speaking to some of your players before, but are you guys more of a group of friends that have just been playing together for a long time or did you come together for flesh and blood to focus on specific events? Actually, infamous is a pretty good word to to, <laughs> to describe them. But yeah, we have been friends for over ten years, most oh, of wow. us. Uh, like the the big part of the group is from the same town as me. We have been lifelong friends, and uh, the other ones are pe- people we picked up from different places of Spain, and uh, we met up in different games. Most of us playing League of Legends, mm. actually. Oh, really? I'm sorry to say that. But <laughs> um, but yeah, and we started playing a lot during during the lockdown, in the pandemic. So when Flesh and Blood came out, uh, we all started playing it uh, at different paces because, mm-hmm. as you have said, we are a group of friends. Not everyone on my team is a competitive player, nor they want to be. Like we have some players that if they put any you know mental strength or, or any effort into the game, I believe they would be better than me. I'm mm. Sure that they would be better than me, but you know everyone has like different uh, objectives in, in life. There's people that don't want to travel to compete or, or things like that, and and we are happy with with what we are. Uh, we are usually like four or five guys traveling to to any, any place, uh, any excuse is good to visit some, some new place and taste some new food, you know, and, and have a good time. That's, mm. that's honestly why we, why we move so much. Mm. Yeah. I want to, I want to pick up on one of the words you said, which is effort. Do you feel like you and your group are the, wh- what is your testing process like? Are you the kind of group that's testing all the time, you know, really grinding out games in preparation for tournaments or are you a bit more laid back? Cause I do recall one of my conversations <laughs> with one of your teammates in the, in the lead up to worlds. And he specifically said that your testing, your testing schedule or the group testing schedule, I don't know if it's you in particular, had been a bit more laid back, which is not really the tail of the tape we see with a lot of the sort of the grinders in flesh and blood they tend to be these players part of you know large testing groups maybe like the wolf pack or something like that they have all this data and how what is your approach and your group's approach to preparing for some of the tournaments i will do some some promo here i yeah. actually wrote a, an article for for legend story studios uh, just this week on, on testing um I probably don't always follow my own rules for testing, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty difficult scheduling with with these guys. So it mostly boils down to playing a bunch of games when mm-hmm. we can, and we try to get as much value or as much information uh, from those games as as we can. But yeah, we do not have like. Um, serious uh, schedules or, or, or dates to, to test or something like that. We just hang out on our Discord where we are playing, you know, teamfight tactics or whatever. And, and then someone pops and says, hey, we should test. And then <laughs> we start testing. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, usually we do like uh, pretty intense weeks uh, when, you know, the weeks before a big tournament. Mm. They tend to be like pretty intense in the Discord because there's always some some player who wants to play at, at almost any hour of the day because as, as we live in the same time zone, it's it's pretty easy. So there are games running running up there like at almost any hour. So it's it's always easy to just jump in and if you're not playing, it's it's always useful to to get some info, see how matchups develop or or how new tech someone is trying. 
Yeah, absolutely. We try to we try to discuss and and, and you know um, share as much as much info as, as we can because um, t- taking a little a little breath between games and, and discussing a few key points usually leads to to using your time much more efficiently. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's kind of what we do. When it comes to testing, Pablo, and with your 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 group, do you have specialists within your group when it comes to playing heroes, or does everyone like to play everything? And and what about yourself? Like, do you tend to lean towards certain heroes, or are you really open to just playing what you think is the best for any given event? Mm, I do have an article on that too. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm for the Wrath of Times, and yeah, I do think that playing every deck is really important uh, you know not only to have the option available to you to just switch off quickly before a big tournament or something like that but it also helps you a lot you know knowing how these decks properly function just on a deeper level you know um, because there are some things that you can only gr- really grasp when you're playing that game you know this is when you fumble a hand and you know you really know where to strike to, to really be you know uh, a threat to that deck and um, yeah we do have some specialists though as i have said not not everyone has the same background mm-hmm. um, but the guys i test the most with uh, play play everything mm. we do lack a good illusionist player since since prism abandoned us though like we don't have a dromai player i'm always really scared when i sit across a dromai in a tournament <laughs> you have to you have to get recruiting find your next <laughs> your next dromai player um, I want to ask a little bit about testing some more and specifically around deck building because one thing I noticed, Pablo, I mean, you talk about, you can talk as much as you want about getting lucky, Pablo, but one of the things I notice about <laughs> you is that whenever you show up to an event and you do well, I look at your deck list and I go, yes, this makes sense. Your deck list seem to be very consistent. You like a lot of three ofs. You like quite, from what I see anyway, you like yeah. your decks to be quite cohesive, I would say. I always am quite impressed with just... I don't want to say simple, but just how, yeah, how cohesive and how um, it looks like you've put a lot of sort of like narrowing down into your decks to make sure that you have the right cards for for the meta. Can you talk a little bit about your philosophy when it comes to deck building? And is it true? Do you, I mean, I, is it true what I say? Your decks look really consistent to me and they look like they're focused on three elves, for instance. Mm, yeah, it was one of the issues I had in, in a lot of other games. I really hate when my deck goes over 60. I really, really hate it. It's something in my mind just snaps, and I don't like it. If, if I have a bad game, I always attribute it to the, to the, to the 61th card, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I always try to trim down as much as possible my decks. Of course, if you're playing Fatigue or something like that, sometimes you need to play over 60. But um, yeah, as a rule of thumb, I try to, to play as few cards as I can. And uh, yeah, if I really like one card, I usually want three copies of that card in my in my deck unless it doesn't you know defend or it has like some kind of risk attached to it, like maybe playing too much codexes in in one ranger deck or something like that. Um, so yeah, I usually value consistency a lot, as you have said. Like I do think it's one of the most important things of a deck. It's is why I enjoyed playing room blades when there wasn't as much you know variance in them as as there is uh, now because you're forced to play some some key cards like sonata mm-hmm. um but but yeah i always try to to play all three offs i can 
if they don't have you know this this risk of them not to play no too much defense reactions or, or things like that. But yeah, I, I'm not a really good deck builder. Um, I will I will say this one. I, I'm good at taking a deck, uh, net decking. I will mm-hmm. just say it. I net deck a lot, and I take one deck that is already built and and it already functions. And I'm good at the trimming down and you know optimizing things on the deck. But uh, I haven't created a deck in in like four games I have played. So <laughs> <laughs> I do have some really good deck builders in my team though. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I empathize with that. I think I don't think I've built a deck from scratch in in years, to be honest. I'll take the biggest pile of garbage and maybe try to refine it and we'll get it somewhere, but I don't know. I just for some reason building it from scratch is not for me. I want to pop out of the theoretical here and talk about recent results. So your most recent top eight. What the heck happened? So if I look at the battle hardened results prior to that in the United States. The meta that ended up showing up in Birmingham is not really what we expected, especially in the context of the top eight. And I'm going to specifically highlight the hero that you brought, Bravo, which seems to be actually see some success in that tournament. Can you just talk to me a little bit about how you landed up on that deck and where you think Bravo is? Is Bravo just a sort of budget version of old him that is just serviceable at this point? Or do you think that the hero itself has an inherent strength that we might be missing? It's it's poor man, Oldham. Yes, <laughs> it is. Yeah, you are playing a, a worse shield, a worse hero ability, and a worse hammer, and a worse headpiece, and and a worse chest piece, and it still works uh, until some degree, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he does have some advantages. You can sometimes high roll wins, and and you know you will take that if if you draw three blues and a crippling and three blues and a crippling and three blues and a star strike and three blues and a crippling you're an extremely good player and you you really deserve that win but um <laughs> yeah he he sometimes offers uh tempo swings all team couldn't provide if you have you know tunic or, or a seismic surge and, and a crippling in hand just throwing a naked crippling at your opponent is it's an extremely good tempo swing mm, but everything else is much worse than all team yeah. Um, I just played Bravo because I got cold feet a few days before Birmingham. I was going to play <laughs> Usuri, but uh, then <laughs> I started seeing a lot of Romais. <laughs> and as I have said, I don't have a Romai <laughs> to test with in my team, so I got a little bit scared. Um, I have been testing like a lot of decks um, because I played, you know, Lexi and I lost every Lexi mirror and I was extremely tilted with the deck. And I said, hey, I don't know what to play. Let's go to the basics. I have played, Bravo was actually the first hero I played in Flesh mm-hmm. and Blood. Um, really drawn to the to the defensive aspect of Guardian as I have played like really slow, grindy uh, decks in other games. Uh, Bravo's not like that. Mm. But yeah, I just kind of, you know, Oldim kind of rebuilt his deck into a Bravo deck with Crown of Seeds when, when he got nerfed. And I just rebuilt the Oldim Bravo deck into a Bravo, <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of like, like the iteration. I don't think it's like the best deck in format or anything like mm. that. I think it outperformed at, at Birmingham. Um, I don't think people were prepared for for fatigue strategies and uh, you know playing against bravo demands some knowledge of how to properly use your equipment 
Uh, I did see some mistakes there. Mm. Uh, Bravo is really punishing when your opponent, you know, um, overblocks something and then two turns later needs some equipment. Um, but yeah, I don't think we will see that much Bravo going forward. Mm. But this is still a deck to be to be reckoned. It has a pretty good matchup into into Rangers and uh, a skill matchup into Dromai probably. Yeah. So I mean, you said that. In your thoughts, it's it's maybe not even the best deck in the meta right now. I just wanna I just wanna highlight that and say what do you think is, and I also want to talk about Icelander, a deck that has also been seeing a lot of success, but maybe doesn't see as much success in internal testing. I mean, both you and Hayden were talking about this, so despite internal testing, um, that deck has been absolutely crushing. What? So two questions. First, what do you think is the best deck in the meta? <clears throat> Obviously, it's kind of dynamic; it can change, and then also. What do you think is attributing to Icelander seeing a resurgence in the in sort of its success winning all these tournaments? Uh, I don't think Lexi is the best deck in, in the meta. And, and I don't think there's like any kind of discussion at that point. Like she has the numbers to back it up. She's usually the most played and has the best win ratio <laughs> on any event. And that's kind of telling the, the power of that deck. Uh, there are a lot of builds that are targeting her. So... I do I do think that sometimes her not converting that much, you know, top top eights or top thirty twos or or that into wins is is uh, you know is it's the fault. But um I I do think that Icelander is, is a much worse deck. She has like a, a great conversion to, to winning, you know, <laughs> from top eight to winning. Like I believe there has only been like one Icelander in each top, or maybe two during the second Battle Hardened. But yeah, Rhea won, did amazing and won both Battle Hardens and Samuel uh, won uh, here in Birmingham. But uh, I do think that you need to get a little bit lucky. She, she has like extremely bad matchups mm-hmm. or, 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 you know, and, and yeah, in our, in our testing, I really, really like uh, Icelander, be either the Arcane version or, or the Bullander. But uh, uh, she wasn't doing so good against Rangers in our, in our testing. Uh, uh, Asalia was a horrible matchup and Lexi was pretty rough too. But then I turn up and, and every game I see in a tournament of, of Icelander, she completely crushes any, any Lexi, you know? And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm playing Lexi wrong. But <laughs> yeah. uh, or Icelander wrong. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I, I do think she's a force to be reconned. Uh, maybe people did underestimate Wizards uh, a little bit. You know, this is a cycle. This is always coming back. Yeah. Uh, the, the Arcane Barrier issue. Um as you guys did during the first Pro Tour, right? I was trembling in fear of not crossing any <laughs> any Kanos, any Kanos there with my zero working barrier. But <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I think that maybe people haven't practiced as much against her. Maybe people aren't playing as much blues as they should in the decks. Maybe they don't have as much arcane barrier. But that's kind of you know the the fun part about preparing for tournaments, right? That the meta is always always changing, always evolving, and so I'm pretty curious to see how nationals will go because yeah. you know every week has been uh, like a different meta game. So yeah, pretty Absolutely. stoked. Yeah, just Icelander winning every time. <laughs> I know, right? We say it's changing, <laughs> but yeah, Icelander I guess has been winning every single time. So say you're moving 
looking towards nationals, um, you know, you mentioned maybe Bravo not sticking around, but people need to be prepared for it. Icelander sort of having these wins despite maybe having some bad Ranger matchups and having a bad Jermai matchup for sure. What do you think that that Nationals meta, at least let's say like week one Nationals meta, potentially looks like? Is it just a lot of people back on Lexi? What, you know, I guess it, it seems to be a common agreement that is the best deck, except for people, you know, looking for the deck that beats the deck. Do you think it's a lot of people on Lexi or do you, do you see another hero sort of emerging? Maybe not as the top deck, but as as a close competitor at second i think lexi will be the most played deck at almost any nationals mm. and probably the second most played deck will be bravo i don't know uh, i think there's a lot of old refugees that don't find the deck uh, anywhere and bravo is fun to play mm. so yeah i kind of expect those those two decks to be like really well you know represented in every in every tournament we saw a lot of Runeblades too. I'm not really sure about Runeblades with Warmongers Diplomacy around, but uh, but yeah, uh, there are a lot of Runeblade enthusiasts out there and be ready to get high rolled by a Viserai on, on round three of, <laughs> of your nets. I want to, Pablo, I want to, and Brennan, just for a moment, want to jump into something publicity because last week we got a little bit of, little bit of pushback on the show for our comments on Bravo and Icelander and, and saying that maybe <laughs> we, you know, we still thought Lexi was the best deck and we were surprised at the results. And it sounds like, you know, um, Pablo, you, you share some of those. And I've been thinking about this during the week and Icelander took another win in the weekend at Battle Hardened uh, Salt Lake City with, you know, a friend of yours, Brendan, Marjan yeah. Bay, Caleb mm-hmm. winning. And I think, you know, what you said, Pablo, I was just listening there. And I think one of the big things that continues to contribute to Icelander's success is the deck is super consistent. It is really strong. And even if this isn't quite the meta for it, a combination of potentially people not respecting it, people not being prepared for it, and, you know, some different strategies seem to be, and just good players piloting these as well, players that are super experienced with these heroes, seem to be contributing to its wins. And I think on the flip side of that, the reason we're not seeing Lexi, you know, might still be the most played deck, might still be putting up good top 64 numbers, right? Good day two conversions. But the reason it's not converting into top eight and into wins, in my view right now, is that people are adapting to strategies with Lexi. You know, there's no bullseye braces. So people are coming with, you know, these decks, for instance, the Arcane Icelander with the Ice Binds and the Encases. And we've, we've seen, I think, the Lexi players maybe a little bit slow to respond with cards like Trench, for instance, to counter that, or uh, maybe some different strategies to make sure they can play around that. And if you are playing the deck that's going to be targeted, and Lexi is going to be targeted every time at the moment, because Pablo, I think most people agree Lexi is still the best deck in some way, shape, or form. People have to be prepared. So I just think if you're heading towards your nationals and you're thinking about playing Lexi, your number one goal has to be be prepared for the counter plans that people are going to come, whether it's Fatigue Bravo, whether it's Arcane Icelander with more disruption and more ways to create frostbites, whether it's Azuri or whatever it might be. I think you just have to have to be prepared if you're going to play the deck that is the deck to beat. Mm. I have a question for both of you. Do you both not like playing Lexi? Because I feel like we have three people in the room right now. They will all, <laughs> all meet in the middle and say Lexi is the best deck. But I think we also have three people in the room that are, you know, would very begrudgingly end up on Lexi at a tournament. Do you all not enjoy playing this deck? What is preventing you from playing what is just quantitatively the best deck? I hate Rangers. Yes. I, I hate I hate the game plan. I hate not having a weapon. And I hate, uh, you know, the... Lexi is much more consistent than Asalia, and she has some tools to, to add to that. But I hate, like, 
suddenly drawing a no arrows hand or something like that, and, and that still happens, or playing a three of a kind and drawing a codex and two razors. Uh, I do admit that she's extremely powerful. I have been on the verge of playing her at any tournament, mm-hmm. um, but I usually get cold feet at the at the last moment as as it happened in Birmingham. Because I do not do not trust myself in, in Lexi Mirrors that much. I do think that they are pretty swingy and I do expect a lot of Lexis to be there. Usually I'm the kind of player who likes to target the best deck instead of playing it. Mm. But yeah, there are some times where you just have to surrender yourself to the evidence and <laughs> and roll with it and play whatever is needed. But um but yeah, I don't if I can avoid it, I will not play I will not play Lexi. Mm. Hayden, what about yourself? I, I feel pretty similarly to Pablo. I might not hate Ranger as much, but <laughs> I think if I'm looking at like that, you know, that power versus consistency like X and Y axes and trying to find, you know, the the hero that's furthest along both those axes as possible, to Pablo's point, Lexi is really far along the power and has improved in consistency with cards like Codex, you know, and, and just the, the I guess the more recent builds. I also echo, I don't enjoy playing the mirror match at all. I find it, uh, I, I do think there's play to it, but I find it very frustrating. Um, I also just am in a stage of my flesh and blood playing time, I guess, where I just enjoy less playing aggressive decks. And also I enjoy playing decks with weapons, mm. again, to, to Pablo's point. So, uh, and also I too echo, I like playing the deck to beat the deck as opposed to playing the deck to beat. I think it makes your tournament easier to be honest i don't know i think if i have a game plan that's really strong into the deck to beat and then i also just have a really good proactive game plan with my deck i find those tournaments just mentally easier to play more enjoyable i feel like i'm having to think less on my feet and it comes down to more down to preparation than as opposed to maybe some of the things on the day like making a mistake or two getting some bad matchups for instance so yeah, that's kind of why I and not to say like I I could very well play Alexi for nationals. I it's still super super powerful. And if you know if I can't find anything that I feel is a better alternative, I'm just gonna play the best deck, right? Mm. Yeah, I think at this point I just sim- I simply am just not going to play Lexi in a competitive event because I did it one time. <laughs> I am I am a big stand for playing the deck that beats the deck and trying to find some spice. But the calling Leal, I played Briar and the aggressive <laughs> the normal Briar deck, the aggressive Briar deck. And I just, I just didn't enjoy playing that. I, I knew I hated the mirror, but I was like, okay, it's just the best deck, and you know, I'll just try to get lucky. And I just, it was just a not, it was not nearly as fun <laughs> as playing any other possible deck. And I think Lexi, Lexi, and Lexi mirrors would be pretty similar at a high level event. So I think I'm just gonna forego playing the deck for a while. I also, yeah, it's weird because Ranger just, just ate shit for so long, and it's finally good, and I'm still just like. <laughs> Nah, <laughs> it's, not, it's it's definitely <clears throat> definitely not for me. Um, Pablo, I want to ask you because recently we had the new set, sort of spoiled teas. I'm gonna call it bright lights, fully mechanologist set. What are your thoughts on the design choice to go with a mechanologist only set for this upcoming set, um, especially in the context of it coming off the back of the most recent set, the supplemental set that. It's different, right? You know, previous supplemental sets we saw support for every single class or every single class. Um, we see you know, E Runeblade, we get a couple cards, Illusions, we get a couple cards. This set, not so much. And then after that, we're going into a mechanologist only. Does this, does, does Bright Lights, is it exciting you? Are you happy they're taking risks? What are your thoughts? As a mainly classic constructed player, it can be like kind of uh, underwhelming mm-hmm. just to not see 
that many new cards, uh, but I do understand that from a design standpoint, having to, you know, to add cards to every single existing class in every supplemental set is is pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. And there's usually times where you don't want to add some cards to, to some class. Like we saw that in Dynasty, right? With, uh, I believe it was Dynasty with Guardian. And when we got all these extremely big and playable defense reactions. Um, so yeah, we, we got like a, a ton of cards that probably won't see play never, yeah. uh, won't ever see play. Uh, so I'm happy if they need, you know, to be more focused in, in their next sets. It's fine if only if only Mechanologist receives cards this set, as long as, you know, we have like several Mechanologist different decks coming. You know, if it adds different decks to the metagame, I would like if they overcorrected though, if, if we had like a Mechanologist meta for until the, the next set comes out. But I do trust... Um, the design team at LSS, they have done an extremely good job when a lot of things I didn't think it was a good job, but it ended up being. They have proven time and time again that they know much more than me, so I will trust them again. I'm happy because we will probably have a really interesting limited format. Mm -hmm. Outsider was great. like It was much, much better than anything we have played before in Flesh and Blood, um, at least from my from my point of view, and I do expect uh, Bright Lights to be to be really good on that uh, on that side too. And mm. It is also what we will be drafting at Worlds, right? Yeah, and it's a it's so, a very it's a much different. <laughs> it draft needs to format. be good. <laughs> yeah, the draft it needs to be good. The draft format, actually, what do you think about that? Because in Flesh and Blood, I remember a lot of the critiques about Flesh and Blood Limited just in the past, and I guess even up to the the current state of the game, it's been like it feels kind of on rail. Some people have said it's like it feels like you're in a lane, you know, you're drafting as hero. It doesn't. Some people say it doesn't feel as open as Magic: The Gathering. So you look at something like Bright Lights, Mechanologist Holding, and I think that although the cards might not archetypically fit into your hero, right? You might have some cards that are meant for a different hero, but you're playing this mechanologist hero. You still they still should be playable, right? What do you think about a flesh and blood set where you know all the cards are theoretically playable in your deck? Do you think it will lead to a better drafting experience where you're able to read the table more and adjust and kind of play the the drafting game itself more? I like how they apply that idea as well in outsiders because there were two heroes from from each class, mm -hmm. and you could pick, you know, assassin cards at, at the start of the draft, and then, you know, at the end of the first pack or something like that, you decide on one of them and and, and start picking for for either Usuri or Acne, right? I would love if we had something similar to that in Bright Lights, you know, where you can start picking just good generic mm, mechanologist cards. Maybe they are reprinting some of the boost attacks, for instance. Like you're maybe picking red zeros to sixties, mm -hmm. and and then you choose your hero, right? Because I don't think all of them will work with either boosting or banishing cards. No, we have seen like Te Teclo Boson, mm -hmm. is it called, and, and mm -hmm. he plays cards from from the banish zone. Uh, he's he's the new shadow <laughs> hero. So um, yeah, is that get you excited will... being a previous chain player? <laughs> I was pretty pretty disappointed by by Vincent. Oh, so yeah. Vincent. So yeah, I would love <laughs> to have some character that clearly uh, cheats off resources from the game and has more cards than it should. Um, yeah, we all knew that Chain was wasn't coming back as, as we knew him. <laughs> like it was impossible to balance. Um, Vincent is actually a really cool deck. Um, I cannot, for the life of me, solve the. Um, 
the fatigue match up with her, but uh, she will probably be really good in the future when she can she can play around that. Uh, but yeah, I I don't think that we will have a pretty interesting limited format. Um, I'm only afraid that uh, we will have like too many playable cards mm -hmm. in our decks, and if we don't have like really good weapons or maybe not really yeah. good, but weapons that you can use constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, we will have like ton of three blocks because usually um, Meganology's cards either block for three or are items. Um, so maybe we have we will have like thirty six because you even the last cards in every pack you 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 will be able to you know to add add them to your deck. So I kind of expect it not to develop into a you know a fatigue fiesta, but we will see. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not. <laughs> I think we talked about this last week, Brendan. You know, we gave our initial thoughts on on bright lights, and you asked Pablo about the class. You know, class construct. Pablo talked about class constructed. I guess in terms of you know it being a fully mechanologist set, and not offering support elsewhere. It's an interesting one because mechanologist hasn't been extremely popular. You know, I think if you look back at where Alice has thrown support over the last few sets. You know, bringing back the light and shadow heroes, obviously very, very popular uh, talents and, and heroes and doing that in new ways. They've given support for, you know, even if you go to outsiders, right, for ninjas being pretty popular. Ranger obviously was a hero that's been pretty cult popular, right? Uh, and then you go back before that to Uprising, a wizard, an illusionist, and a ninja. This time going to a mechanologist is a little bit different. It's not something, it's not a hero that's maybe had quite the same cult following, that's maybe had the same level of enjoyability. I mean, famously, people were super infuriated playing against mechanologists and item-based builds sort of from the Crucible and uh, and Monarch metas. But, you know, so it's a bit of a, it's a little bit of a gamble on Alice's part, I think. It's going to be super interesting to see what the set looks like. Yeah, like you said, there's maybe not a ton of mechanologist mains right now. I, it, that class, I mean, for people who <laughs> who aren't versed in the in the history of Flesh and Blood was an absolute terror <laughs> on the game back in um, back in Crucible of War, like you said. But we, we, we sort of talked about it as well, Pablo. Like, although it will be mechanologist in name, it won't be sort of mechanologist only in nature, right? Like, we will get a bunch of mechanologists, but likely the classes will be, or the heroes will be much different. So they might be subclasses of the same class offering different ways to engage with the game. The, the, risky, the risky side is from the sort of the, I guess, the sales side and the design side is like you do present a product that potentially players playing right now that have the Runeblade deck or have the Ranger deck, God forbid, will look at the set and be like, hmm, okay, this one is not for me. Maybe it's not designed for me, right? So yeah, it's a it's an interesting choice for LSS to to go with it, especially off the back of the most recent supplemental set, which was also a departure from a previous, previous sort of paradigm that we sort of held towards. I want to ask you, because we, we talked about it a little bit earlier, at least you mentioned Monarch Draft. So going into Nationals, how much experience have you had with Monarch Draft? And what like what tips would you give for people looking to succeed in that format? I actually haven't played that much <laughs> Monarch Draft. I should be playing more. Um, I did play the Colin Birmingham and I was testing until the last minute uh, Classic Constructed. Then I returned home and honestly, I just wanted to have like some weeks off, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, off Flesh and Blood. Sadly, I have been, you know, on a, on a lot of podcasts and programs <laughs> and we do have our own content in Spanish and and we're we're running a tournament at this point in online. And we, we I had a lot of things to do related to Flesh and Blood that we're not playing and I'm 
honestly pretty pretty burned out. I'm I'm going on a vacation next week and and I don't know if I will be able to test uh, all that much Monarch Draft. Mm, it seems like a really swingy format, and I'm pretty scared of how much powerful Prism seems than the other than the other heroes, at least in our testing. Or it's not powerful is not the right word, but it's kind of like Fi back in a mm-hmm. pricing where she can function with not with a lot of different cards. She's yeah. not tied to any specific color of cards to to have a you know a viable deck. So yeah, I do think that people that want to do well on nets should be testing a lot of drafts right now. Uh, Classic constructed as we have said is is always evolving, but we have a general idea of how it will be. We have had like a lot of competitive tournaments. And uh, I do think that Monarch Draft is extremely underexplored. Uh, most of us didn't didn't play the game at that uh, that point in time, or were just getting into it, and we didn't know what we were doing on our drafts. Uh, so I do think there will be a lot of surprises and, and different approaches. I love how during I believe it was. Pro Tour Baltimore, yeah. Um, I saw like different approaches from different teams mm-hmm. uh, at drafting. So I expect something like that at, at nationals uh, at a smaller scale, you know, because most, uh, at least here in Europe, most of the Nats won't have as many players as, you know, the, the United States one. But, but yeah, I, I do expect to be to be surprised. Let's hope I, I don't get blown out, blown out at, at draft. Yeah, it's anecdotally just just something funny. The release of Monarch was actually back when I first got exposed to my local Legend of the Five Rings scene because all those players had just transferred from Legend of the Five Rings to Flesh and Blood because I believe <laughs> that was right when right when Legend of the Five Rings like canceled or whatever was I, almost exactly when Monarch came out. Um, Hayden, do you have do you have any questions before I sort of close out with my last one? Yeah. I got, a, I got a couple of things I want to throw Pablo's way. I feel like it'd be remiss of us on a competitive podcast not to dive a little bit deeper just to finish off on, on um, you know, pick Pablo's brain a little bit. You've you've talked about, you know, maybe yeah, you, you said getting a little bit lucky, all right, but you've been super consistent in your performances, Pablo. So I just want to understand, you know, when I see you on stream, you make very few, if not, you know, any mistakes how is it that you seem to be able to do this? Like, what is it? Is it a mindset thing? Is it a practice thing? Is it just natural talent? Is it getting a little bit lucky? Like, how do you how do you go through these events and, and keep your play, you know, fairly consistent throughout the whole event, or at least when you're on stream? Actually, I have had this, this question asked to me earlier several times. Um, and the answer to this one is, is like the most obvious one, is uh, experience. I have lost... At any stage, you can lose at the tournament. I have lost the top 64. I have lost the top 32. I have lost the top 16, top 8, top 4, finals, whatever. I have I have had some really good tournaments and an extremely bad tournament. And at this point, I'm not like... Um, you know, my mindset or, or my enjoying of, of a tournament uh, doesn't actually correlate to my results. Of course, I would be happier if I if I perform great, and and it would be much better for me financially <laughs> if I do great. But um, um, it's kind of especially when I'm already in locked for top eight or something like that, or playing top eight. Um, I have already won on my mind. It's like okay, yeah, I have already done great. Um, yes, let, let's relax, do what we know because I have played like 
thousands of games of, of, of Flesh and Blood. I have done this so many times in the past. There's, there's nothing different at this point. I know that there's a lot of people who get hung up on, you know, there's, there's money on the line here or, or, you know, I really want to win this tournament. But it is pretty toxic or, or maybe it is really easy to burn out if you have that mentality. I do think that if you really want to do well at tournaments, you need to to be a little more laid back. Maybe it has it has to do with my friends or how we approach tournaments. Or you know, if if you do great, we will celebrate. If you don't do great, we will celebrate anyway. So it's it's kind of you know the mindset of being a little bit more relaxed uh, on those games. I do have a really good memory, and I have played a lot of. Flesh and Blood games, and I guess that helps. I'm extremely bad at math, though. So if, if you see me stopping at, at the middle of a match, it's because math isn't working on my mind. And, <laughs> and I do know that it isn't working and I have you know, done something wrong at, at some point, but it has happened to me that at some points I have thought, oh, I'm dead. I'm He has a line, I'm, I'm already dead. And then I stopped thinking, no, I'm not dead. And, I don't know how to to you know subtract some numbers from others, <laughs> but yeah, it has mostly to do with how many times I have been playing in in top cats in so many different games. Yeah, there's there's yeah. no secret to that. Sadly, uh, that there's people who are like really calm. Um, I'm probably also a really calm person, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, it has more to do with experience than you know personality or, or anything that you can train. Yeah, no, I think those are, you say, you know, no secret, but it's, it's great. It's a great takeaways there, you know, staying, I guess, consistent really comes down to treating your games equally, right? Like that is how you can stay consistent. If you put more pressure on any one particular game, that's going to be a way that you're going to lead to having less consistent results, right? You might do something you wouldn't normally do in a game because you feel pressured to, or uh, I, I echo that as well. I feel like when I go to an event, you know me and brendan talk about this a lot on the pod our results we're not we not being results orientated now thinking you know be enjoy the journey enjoy the event and uh play one game at a time and try and keep consistent and i think that is is so so important i have one last question brendan and pablo uh pablo you know there's a lot of players out there who are going to be going to their first national championships this is going to be potentially their first you know maybe they've top four to road to nationals or they've they've grinded out the xp and it's gonna be the first kind of big event for them that they're going to be head to heading to do you have maybe one or two pieces of advice for these players maybe who are looking to enter the competitive scene and this is going to be their first kind of marquee event that they're heading to you know as a super experienced competitive player uh just to just to impart to some arsenal pass listeners who who are you know aspiring competitive players yeah, I believe it would be like, don't be afraid. Uh, I see a lot of new players being afraid of, you know, playing against some big local names or, or international names or whatever, or, or being afraid of ask, asking judges or, or making small mistakes. And everyone is there to have a good time. Like, yeah, they are also trying to win, of course. But, you know, Flesh and Blood community, about, up, uh, up until this point, it's really difficult to say this, um, <laughs> Uh, has been extremely nice, at, at least uh, everywhere I have been, and I have been in a lot of places. Uh, mm, so, yeah, as I have said, try to be relaxed. You're going to have a, a really good day. Uh, competing is probably, for, for most of us, the most enjoyable aspect of, of playing at TCG. Uh, so don't be afraid. Uh, try to, try to you know, talk with your, your opponents, your friends, yachis, whatever, whatever, and, and whoever is there. Uh, because... You know, you're you're there to to have a great day, and 
and everyone else is is doing the same thing too. So don't be afraid and don't focus on on results too much. If you do great, that's that's amazing, and and you can win the tournament or or get the the world's invitation, and I will see you at Barcelona. But um, you know, don't don't you know focus too much on on winning on playing each game. Or oh, I have been so unlucky in playing against oh this 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 the last year's national champion. And uh, all those kinds of things, that's something I, I see like very often and during tournaments and it sounds me a little. Because they have already lost some games on their mind before they, yeah. they mm. stop playing. Yeah. I mean, like you said, so Flesh and Blood is my first card game. And I mean, I specifically remember the first time I had, you know, each one of those kind of matches you talk about. the first, Your first top eight match, your first finals match, whether it's a row to Nats or, you know, now you're in the top eight of a calling or something. And I remember shitting myself the first time, every time. And then you make mistakes <laughs> and you lose. But after you get those, see, some people don't have to get those losses in, right? Some people are just naturally calm or under pressure. They just don't make those mistakes. I'm just not really that person. And I found after ex- getting experience, after being in that situation, realizing that it's not special, you know, et cetera, not in a bad way, like you didn't deserve to be there or something like that. But it's just, it's just a normal game. It's just like any other game. It's like a tabletop game versus your friend on at the kitchen table. Like once you really get that under control, I find you make drastically less mistakes. It's the people that get too amped, they get too much anxiety, and then, you know, they, they put their opponent on a pedestal or something like that. That's when you end up making these mistakes that you've just never made in testing and you make them like, what, what am I doing? So part of it is experience, but I think if you if you recognize that and try to prepare yourself mentally, you can mitigate having to, you know, get that experience. And that experience does often take losing, unfortunately. Anyway, Pablo, James historically, infamously, we'll say, said <laughs> at Pro Tour Baltimore, which where you were, um, you said the city of bright lights. We didn't know what that meant, but it turns out it's Barcelona. Do you have any high-level professional flesh and blood tips now? Real-life tips for people traveling to Barcelona for the World Championships, things that they should be doing, um, just stuff you recommend to people, whether it's food, sights to see, you know, clothes to wear, is it going to be too hot, whatever. What what sort of would you give the audience in respect to Bar- that might be traveling to Barcelona for Worlds? What tips do you have? Nah. Uh... The first one is, is always the same. Barcelona is a big European capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, be ready to travel as when you're traveling to any other big city. Mm, be wary of where are you going and the mm-hmm. hours where are you going. It's not a, it's not you know a dangerous place, but you shouldn't be you know um, to to calm about it either. Uh, so do your homework before before traveling. Uh, the place where the tournament is held is actually a really nice place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah. Um, usually, Barcelona is is very warm. So even if it's held in in November, it will probably don't don't take that much uh, you know that much warm clothes for you to to bring. Be, be aware of that. Check check the temperature before for doing your your treat case as uh, your travel case. Um, and yeah, we do have some great food there. It's not the cheapest place in Spain, though. It's it's like a tourist spot. Mm-hmm. It will be cheap for for almost anyone traveling from outside of Spain because salaries here are much lower, and you know uh, daily life cost is much lower. 
And uh, we do have some friends and some people from my team that are living there. And they are not only doing like a countdown with uh, different places to visit or, or mm. to eat uh, when you're there. They will also, they're also working on a guide with, with locals and such. And if you have any question for us, you can, if you have any, you know, thing you need to, to get answered before traveling, just drop us a DM on Twitter or whatever to the Sunflower Samurai account. Uh, actually, the one, the guy that's running the, our socials is is the one that lives in Barcelona. So yeah, throw every question at, at him. It won't it won't uh, reach me. So I'm happy if he if he deals <laughs> with all of that. But <laughs> he will offer good advice as well. Um, and yeah, Barcelona is an extremely good place to visit. It has too many too many things to to view. Honestly, yeah, I don't think even in a week you can. You can see everything it has to offer. As a tip, uh, if you want to visit uh, the Sagrada Familia, mm, it's one of the before. most iconic Beautiful. monuments there, uh, you should book your tickets with anticipation because uh, you will probably need a month in advance or something like that because they get sold out so quickly. So if you want to visit that, and you should be visiting it, uh, rent your tickets with, with a little time. Yeah. That's good advice. All right, Pablo, we appreciate you coming on. For the people listening, can you tell them where to find you, what you're up to? You mentioned you wrote some articles for LSS recently, et cetera. Just feel free to plug anything you want to. Well, uh, as I have said, we have a a team account on Twitter or on X now, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Some flower summarize, and you can find myself there. I'm not usually posting like anything groundbreaking, but uh, my, my views and and probably my experience on tournaments. And yeah, it has been an honor being here. I have always uh, wanted to to talk with you guys, and has been really nice. And now I have to go back to wasting my life on Baldur's Gate three. Oh so. yeah, 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 that came out. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of friends playing that right now. It's funny because uh, Dark and Darker oh. actually came out yesterday, too, if you know about that game. I, I do have that on, on my backlist, yeah, too. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we were testing until until yesterday uh, to, because Baldur's Gate 3 dropped and, and everyone just disappeared from my, my Discord server because that's not a... They are not playing cooperative at, at this point. They are all playing their, their own their own games and they just disappeared it's it's amazing there's no one there (laughs) (laughs) oh that's great to hear awesome well for any uh for the rest of you listening if you've been listening to this podcast for a while you want to help us out the number one thing you can do is leave us a review you can do that rate this podcast.com slash arsenal pass you go to apple podcast spotify whatever works for you the video version of this on youtube at youtube.com slash arsenal pass we're all on twitter at brendan apg hayden is at fian underscore dale pablo pintor is at pintor pin Um, And yeah, that's going to be it for us. Once again, thank you so much, Pablo, for coming on. It's great to finally talk to you. And I'm sure that you're going to get, in quotations, lucky once again pretty soon, (laughs) sneak into a top eight or in the finals. Um, But thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. See ya.